Hi, I'm Zach, and welcome to the IB Voices podcast. Because of the social distancing measures that have been put in place around the globe due to COVID-19, teachers have suddenly needed to move to a completely new way of working. For many teachers, this means working remotely, be it via asynchronous or synchronous online means, without necessarily having had any prior training to work in this way. Teachers have become the face of the schools in these times, showing their resilience, creativity, innovation, expertise, and professionalism. To continue to add to the collaborative sharing of teachers globally, I chatted with Dr. Jennifer Chang Wathall, or Jenny, a math teacher, author, and educational consultant on how to manage the remote learning environment as effectively as possible. I wonder if you wouldn't mind telling me a bit about yourself. I'm Jenny, please call me Jenny, and I'm an author, uh, an independent consultant, and I teach part-time at the University of Hong Kong. I have a few research areas as well that I'm interested in. Uh, One of them is teaching for deep conceptual understanding, and the other is educational technology and effective e-learning practices. I was very honored actually to be part of the IB curriculum review group for the last mathematics diploma uh, review. So the one that was just launched, uh, we tried to, I think, have really rich discussions about how we can encourage teachers to use more and adopt more of those approaches to teaching pedagogical principles that the IB really tries to encourage. So teaching for deep conceptual understanding, teaching differentiation, you know, teaching based on teamwork collaboration. So all of those ATLs were kind of, we tried to embed and integrate as much as possible into the new curriculum. Yeah, I love the new math class. I did a lot of work uh, promoting it um, last last year, and uh, I learned a lot. Oh, excellent. So you are familiar with it. Excellent. I still don't know what um, Euler's... Euler? Euler. See, there, there's the proof, the proof in the pudding. <laughs> Wonderful. So I say let's just get into it. As you know, teachers all around the globe, including IB teachers, are in this really unusual place right now where they're teaching not from their classroom, but perhaps from their living room or some other place that is not what they're used to. And as a result, they're venturing into online teaching, which as a concept is not new, but for specific teachers, could be incredibly new, incredibly difficult. So the first question I'd love to ask you is, as teachers move to online teaching, do you have any tips for teachers that suddenly find themselves required to teach in an online environment without any training? A great question, I think, Zach, and I think I think it's all teachers. I don't necessarily think it's just teachers that were not familiar or didn't use online learning regularly, but I think it's all teachers have been thrust and put into a situation where they've had to, in a matter of a very short space of time, teach online remotely, you know, from their homes with students isolated as well in their homes. And, and so I think uh, all teachers at the moment are working so hard, they're so dedicated, and the creativity that I've seen and the passion for learning and supporting their students has just been amazing. So 
I think all teachers are really working really hard and I know that the feedback I've been receiving is that teachers are overwhelmed because they're trying their best to provide the best uh, learning experiences and environment uh, for their students as much as possible. So what are some tips? Well, I have the uh, privilege of working with lots of different schools from around the world in different regions. So I just finished this week with some passionate, dedicated educators in Canada. And I've worked with some teachers in Europe and, and in Asia. So in Asia here where I'm based, we're probably in our 12th to 13th week of online teaching. So there's been so many lessons learned and you know, uh, educators have been so generous with sharing top tips and to support other countries that maybe are just approaching their third or fourth week of online learning. So I think some of the tips, one big one I think is that there are natural and normal stages that we go through when we adopt an e-learning environment. And the first stage is a survive stage. It's where we really firefighting, we're trying to just ensure that there's accessibility in terms of tech devices, in terms of Wi-Fi, because you know this is something that keeps me up at night, Zach, the inequitable access that students don't have or have, and the digital tools and the devices even. So I think you know the first stage that any teacher should really be just worried about is whether their students can actually have access to Wi-Fi or any digital tools, and then what then LMS, like learning management system, you know, have make a decision as a school, I think, and as a teacher, what kind of tools are we going to try to use? And that includes things like if you're going to video conference and meet your students, you know, once a week or twice a week, you know, what, what are we going to use? Are we going to, there's so many different uh, video conferencing tools as well. So making those decisions first. And then the stage after this is the strive stage where I think teachers are trying to just learn how to use the tools and it may be that they're looking at instructional videos or they're just playing around with the tools and I think at the beginning for any teacher that's actually at the beginning of their journey in this online remote environment to not necessarily have any synchronous meetings in the very very beginning I think give teachers a chance to learn how to use some of the tools give students some time as well and we don't know you know what the situations are when it comes to socio-economic socio-emotional states as well of family so we have to be really mindful in the beginning not to jump straight into trying to have live synchronous lessons and get on as if things are normal because things are not normal in this current state so those are the first two stages and then i know a lot of schools in asia they're starting to reach this thrive stage where they're starting to really think about enhancing learning for their students thinking about more pedagogical strategies to engage and motivate because they've already got all the digital tools sorted out they understand uh, the accessibility issues they understand which families have which devices and who can access the internet and so once we get over those initial stages then we can start thinking about enhancing learning and thriving and then I think the last stage, so we've gone from survive to strive to thrive. The last stage is about arriving. Have we arrived at a total transformation of pedagogy and a total transformation of learning where we have a 
completed unit that really adopts the most effective blending learning practices to enhance our students' learning. And so my tip is to know that we're not going to be straight away jumping into trying to plan the most engaging, motivating learning experiences for our students. We have to look at the make a choice of digital tools. We have to, I think, survey families to see what kind of access they have. We have to, you know, survey families to see where they're at in terms of uh, how they can move forward in, in a remote online environment. So that's one tip to know that there are different stages and then you may be a few weeks down the road thinking more about enhancing learning and pedagogy, but in the initial stages, it's okay to just think about how do I use this tool? I'm just going to play around you know, for a while and just learn how to play, play with the tool. That's what be my, my biggest tip. Other tips actually that educators have shared with me is less is more. So don't expect that you're going to cover the entire curriculum exactly like you did in the brick and mortar and don't expect that whatever you did in the brick and mortar situation can transfer directly into this online environment. It's really about, I think, quality and rethinking some of our approaches. Yeah. Well, we're all in it together. Yes, and I think that's the beauty of the situation at the moment or one of the opportunities that has arisen that there's been more collaboration that there's been more sharing and I think a lot of teachers have really identified with what you just said Zach that we're all in it together and trying to support and help each other yes so for teachers who are fortunate enough to have reached the survive or thrive or arrive stage what are some measures that teachers can take to ensure that their students are using technology safely and appropriately, especially since a student's familiarity with technology or online learning might vary whether they're in an elementary school age or a high school age. Yes, I think we have to really focus on student agency and empowerment here and really be teaching them you know, this responsibility in terms of their own uh, self-regulation, their metacognition as well. And I think that that can be reinforced through essential agreements. I think it's so important that we either have co-created essential agreements with parents, with the whole community, with our students, so that there is a common understanding and expectation of uh, how either we behave in terms of netiquette or expectations in terms of when we expect students to come to class even or how much work they should be completing. And I think it's important that we also take into consideration that different regions around the world will have different data protection, privacy protection, protocols that we need to incorporate. But ideally, I think if the school can co-create with the school essential agreements that everybody agrees that this is the best way forward for their child for our students then you're going to have everybody on board you know ensuring that everyone follows these protocols and guidelines because they've been agreed on I, I think still focusing on giving the students that power and that agency to self-regulate it to make those decisions as well excellent I think something that goes along with self-regulating is this self-regulating of your time. Because I know as somebody who works a desk job and is now working at home, that my nine to five standard hours seem to stretch as the days go on. And I think by the very nature of 
an online environment and the use of all these multiple devices inevitably means that there can be this expectation that teachers are available 24-7. How do you think teachers can manage this to prevent things from getting out of hand? I think we have to be very mindful of teachers' workload. And at the same time, we have to be mindful of student workload because whatever the teacher is planning and trying to encourage students to do, I think that will be reflected upon students' workload as well. And so I think it's important that we are mindful of the well-being of the teacher, of the students, their family situation. And I, I think teachers, and I've seen a lot of teachers start to do this, try and strike this balance in their lives, in their daily schedule and timetable where they are, um, you know, they've got fixed office hours, which is great, you know, from say eight to four o'clock, this is when I'm going to be available for my students, but then really investing that time into their well-being and either getting some exercise or socializing or spending time with their family or even just reading a book. And so I, I, I think that it's important teachers do manage that time, it's so easy to just be lost, go down a rabbit hole, you know, once you start a project online and once you're online and to be online for 14 hours, I know some teachers that work 14 hours per day in the first few weeks. And we don't want our teachers to you know, be burnt out. We want to support them. They're really important uh, members of our society at the moment, along with healthcare workers. They are helping our society and our community function by you know, still trying to support learning with students. And so I think teachers have to manage this. And I think that the community will understand as a result. I think they'll be very understanding. And it's just about communication, isn't it? If the school community understands what teachers are going through, I think that there's so much compassion and empathy at the moment for each other that I think that, you know, Parents, families, and students will, will be able to understand. And, and they need a break too. They don't want to be 10 o'clock at night emailing a teacher with a question. You know, they should be spending time, quality time with their family in, in these very challenging times. And they should be focusing on their well being. So it's not just teachers. I think everybody should be really taking some time out every day to concentrate on well being, to focus on something positive. You know, because that, that's so important during these difficult times, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And Jenny, my last question for you is, as somebody who works with schools, could you share any examples of how you've seen blended learning work really well um, in some of the schools that you are in contact with? Yes. So I would say that it's been a journey for all of us. And because some of us only had one or two days, in, like I was talking to this wonderful educator, but she was... Um, you know, really struggling with so many challenges because she was given one day's notice that her school was closing. So she didn't have weeks. Um, and I must mention that it normally takes six to nine months to plan an effective blended learning program. So when you're given one day or two weeks even, I think some schools have had two weeks, you know, what we then have to think about then is addressing this emergency remote situation. So the emergency remote situation is probably not the most effective blended learning environment, but we've had to do that because we haven't had the time for preparation. And so now that some schools are reaching this 10 week to 15 week stage, they've evolved and progressed and improved 
and found that one of the big takeaways was not to follow the same timetable as they did in the brick and mortar. So we, you know, we can't be requiring students to be online from eight o'clock to four o'clock and attending all their different lessons. So they, we realized that that did not work. That does not that does not work because the blended learning environment means that we have to combine the best of both, the synchronous face-to-face with the asynchronous. And that could mean that we utilize the affordance of the asynchronous so that students can access materials and learning uh, anytime, anywhere. So that's one of them. That's one big thing. And then the other schools have found that when they followed these very four important blended learning elements, they found that there was more motivation and engagement. So what are these four blended learning elements that are really important? One is connection. So a lot of research says that when there's no human connection or interaction in an online environment, students will become very demotivated and disengaged and there will be no sense of belonging. So when we're in the virtual environment, it's really important that we try to promote that sense of belonging and connection. And that connection can come through a phone call. If you don't have Wi-Fi or a laptop, that connection can come through a face-to-face synchronous live lesson. But we have to promote that sense of belonging, human connection and interaction. Another really important element is collaboration. I suggest having a study buddy or a thinking partner, a thought partner, and that applies to teachers as well. So that teachers are not alone when they're planning, they have a thinking partner. Our students also should have a thinking partner that they can bounce ideas off and they can ask questions as well. And a lot of educators have actually said that there's actually been more collaboration during this time because of necessity. The workload is so overwhelming that they've had to collaborate. So. That's a sil- one of the you know, few silver linings, I think, from, from the situation. The third element is about clarification. In an online environment, lots of questions come up, and understandably, because when you're in a physical classroom, students can just ask you questions on the fly all the time, and you just answer straight away. But when you're not in that physical environment, if you ask a question, you email, you might have to wait till the next day, or you know, it, we need to be providing lots of opportunities to be able to clarify either instructions, learning experiences, or just to answer questions. And so that third element of blended learning is providing clarification, and that can be done synchronously or asynchronously. The fourth element that's in the blended learning framework is to do with making sure that you are promoting critical thinking and conceptual thinking. So we still want to engage students' intellect during this time. We still want to be asking those very important conceptual questions to draw out their understandings. Um, And I've seen schools really adopt this and, and take into consideration those four elements. And the reports back are normally that the students are more motivated engaged because they have the connection and the clarification. And then because they have a study buddy or there's some kind of collaboration as well, that just keeps them engaged and not feel so isolated. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing. This has been fantastic. And is there anything you'd like to say to our IB teachers specifically? You know, to all the IB teachers, I know that you're working so hard at the moment and it is overwhelming. But what you're doing for your students, I think, shows that you care so much. We appreciate you. The school community appreciates you. I think the world appreciates what teachers are doing globally now. 
and you know we will wait this through the the and, and this will be over and we will be able to get back to our students and uh, get back into the brick and mortar situation which we love and see our students wonderful thank you so much thank you so much for having me on this podcast so what's the secret to remote learning success well there isn't one it's a process and it's a journey and it can be a difficult one, so be kind to yourself. Dr. Jenny suggests keeping these four stages of progress in mind. Survive, strive, thrive, and arrive. And to remember that those phases of our new normal may occur at different times for all of us. Thank you, Dr. Jenny, for your time and support of the IB community. And to all of you out there, be safe, be well, and we'll be back soon with more stories from our students, schools, educators, and more.